Welcome back to the Foreign Desk. I'm Lisa Daftari here on day 11 of the horrific war of Hamas in Israel. And as the death toll is climbing, as we are figuring out more, President Biden has announced that he will make a visit to Israel on Wednesday to perhaps work out a de-escalation and hopefully release the hostages still being held by Hamas. We continue trying to make sense of all of this as news broke just an hour ago about a hospital in Gaza being bombed. Of course, the Palestinians claiming that this was an Israeli missile strike and Israel claiming that this was a misfire by Hamas. An investigation continues. With me today is a friend, a colleague, somebody who understands this region better than anyone I know, uh, Zohar, Dr. Zohar Raviv. He's the International Vice President of Educational Strategy for Birthright Israel. You may know Birthright is a program that offers uh, free trips to Israel for uh, college students and, and, and beyond, older students as well, and graduate students and uh, professionals into their 20s uh, to understand and make sense of, of Israel. Uh, Dr. Raviv is an internationally acclaimed Jewish thought leader and educator currently serving as the uh, VP for Birthright, as well as scholar in residence at the I Center for Israel Education, which is in Chicago. His professional experience spans Israel, North America, South America, Europe, South Africa, and Australia. He's a true foreign policy uh, analyst and expert. He holds a BA in Land of Israel Studies from Bar Ilan and an MA in, in Judaic and Jewish Education from Brandeis, and also another master's degree in Near Eastern Studies, as well as a PhD in Jewish Thought from the University of Michigan. Uh, Dr. Aviv, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. I wish I could say it was a pleasure, but uh, it's not. Right. right. Um, what, where are you right now? I mean, what, what's your perspective? Where are you? Um, I'm talking to you from my house, which is um, literally outside the uh, outskirts of Tel Aviv. Um, and um, <clears throat> I've been working uh, from here uh, for the last uh, 11 days, uh, doing uh, as much work as possible uh, both within the Birthright Israel global community and also with public diplomacy, uh, writing a lot, uh, speaking a lot, uh, and trying to contribute as much as I can to this uh, to this uh, uh, war effort. You know, uh, Dr. Raviv, I, many people that I talk to that are very similar to your position are experiencing this both as as a civilian, right, as an Israeli. Uh, who was there at every moment of this of, of this attack, but also as an analyst, somebody who has an aerial view of all of this and is trying to put it into context as to what this attack is, what it was, what it represents, and where we will go from here. I want to start with you, uh, Dr. Aviva, as a civilian. Where were you when news broke of this attack? What did you think? Did you ever think it would be of this scale and complexity? And tell us about the first hours that it all happened. <laughs> you know, it's one of those moments, right? Where were you when uh, when the U.S. landed on the moon? When were you when Kennedy was assassinated? Where were you when Rabin was assassinated? Uh, the next question is definitely going to be, where were you on October 7th, early in the morning? Um, I happen actually to be with a group of very close friends off-roading with our Jeeps in, uh, in the Upper Galilee. Uh, when we woke up... Uh, uh, getting uh, starting getting WhatsApps about a missile attack on uh, on Israel, which is obviously troubling. 
but then footage started uh, uh, seeping through into our phones of things that I remember one of my friends saying, Zor, this must be fake news. Somebody is playing a trick on us. This is unbelievable. That wow. We started seeing trucks and cars of uh, Hamas terrorists shooting civilians in Sderot. And we, you see people falling down and people shooting them. And Vered, my Israeli friend, looks at me and says, this is, Zor, this is not real, right? This is not real. But sure enough, it became very clear that this is real and 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 that it became worse and worse with every passing moment. Uh, the news that started uh, seeping into uh, into the civilian arena uh, were just horrific beyond beyond imagination. It's something that Israel had never witnessed before. And it soon became very, very clear that Israel is facing the worst civil catastrophe in its history. Um, and we needed to, uh, to, to take it from there. We needed to take it from there. I want Lisa, with your permission, to say something right from the get-go. Uh, because I, <clears throat> as, as someone who analyzes and, and deals with these things and, and tries to see it also from a civilian perspective, I see a lot of people uh, that use the word uh, narratives, context, history, let's try and understand. And I want to be very, very clear. Uh, what we witnessed in Israel, the atrocities that were played against innocent civilians, babies, women, elderly, uh, have absolutely no context they completely transcend narratives, they transcend religion, they transcend any form of territorial dispute. These are sheer atrocities. This is sheer evil in its purest form. And what I dread the most is exactly those who try to understand it in some sort of context. Uh, and I wrote about this. There needs to be a line, uh, and I was, I was me and as, as any other Israeli that was uh, uh, truly impressed by Joe Biden's courageous address where he drew a very clear line between uh, uh, political dispute and this kind of sheer evil brutality against civilians. Um, and we need to keep on uh, pushing this line forward to explain to, 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 to human beings all over the place, no matter where they come from, that there needs to be a clear line between good and evil. And uh, when it's breached, we need to speak against it. But, you know, Zohar, as somebody who's covered so many wars and, and a lot of terrorism, um, it's interesting to hear you speak. Because when I take myself out of the equation of somebody who's been covering this knee-deep for the last 11 days, and I try to come to it from fresh eyes. I'm hearing you as an Israeli, as a civilian, first and foremost, not in your capacity as, as an op-ed writer and, and a thinker and somebody who shapes opinion, but just as a civilian, as a victim of this. Why should you or anyone in Israel go around having to 
defend this narrative? Did anybody have to go running around defending 9-11? Or did the victims of ISIS, the Yazidis and the Assyrians and the Iraqis and the Syrians have to walk around defending ISIS, Daesh and their, their attack? That's the, Lisa, that's the, uh, the, great, the great irony and the great paradox of the, uh, of the Israeli condition. Uh, the level of hypocrisy the level of double standard that is applied to Israel on almost every front is also something that needs to change. I, wanna, I, wanna, I want to be very, very clear. From my own standpoint, I'm not defending Israel because I don't find Israel at fault. I'm explaining my vantage point. I'm trying to explain where I'm coming from. I believe that I represent a lot of Israelis, if not the overwhelming majority of them, Right. who are not only utterly shocked and devastated by this, but also really want the world to see Hamas for what it is and understand that Hamas will not end only with Israel. They need to understand that this kind of ideology is a threat to the entire free world. But you know, Zohar, I'm going to play devil's advocate and push back again on what you're saying. Yes, you are only explaining, explaining what happened. Let's flip this and say Hamas would have had 1,400 casualties in France. Okay? In France. October 7th, the French people wake up to this. And I don't wish this on anybody. I just want to put things into perspective as in terms of narrative. Do you believe that the last 11 days, French people and their supporters around the world would have to just take to social media and to op-eds and to television interviews to explain what Hamas did? No, no, I don't. I don't think that any other place on earth would need to explain this. And that's exactly uh, the, uh, the sheer absurdity of it all, where people take such carnage such despicable, inhumane behavior and still try to pack it within political, territorial, ideological, or religious narratives. And this is why my main claim is that if you are a human being, if you claim to have any sort of consciousness, you need to stop and say, no matter where I come from, this is unacceptable, period. Right. Irrespective of the country, irrespective of the land, irrespective of whatever you want to look at it. This is unacceptable, period. Right. But unfortunately, that's not the case. Uh, but I can tell you from a civilian standpoint, and, and, and Lisa, you know this, but a lot of people outside don't know this. The Israeli civilian infrastructure, this is not surprising to me, but nonetheless... The Israeli civilian infrastructure has yet again proven itself as an incredible, an incredible infrastructure to now support, aid, uh, uh, console, and assist the thousands who've been affected by this directly. And we're not only running a war against those uh, barbarians of Hamas, we are really... Uh, engaged in uh, a war of healing where every uh, Israeli citizen is fully committed to. And that's what we I've been doing, and that's my all my colleagues on Birthright Israel I've been doing on a civilian level and uh, every other Israeli. 
You know, I want to segue into your work for Birthright because I think there's such a parallel here, right? You serve as an educator and somebody who has to get into the mind of the constituents that you bring to Israel. So we're talking about college age, young professional, many of whom or their friends and colleagues are out on the streets of Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, um, London, all over the world, showing support for Hamas. Um, I want to just stop. And because of, of the years of experience you've had, I know that you've been battling narratives, to use the word. I know you've been battling or trying to unprogram people and the way they have been taught. You know, we had a Columbia professor call this awesome. And I just read a few minutes ago that Columbia will not be taking punitive actions against this professor. Another professor at Cornell said that it was exhilarating when he found out that Hamas had such an attack on Israel. We had a professor at Stanford that uh, singled out Jewish students in the classroom. I mean, tell me, I mean, unpack this for us. How did this happen and here in the United States, and I mean, how do we even go about educating people or correcting this? Uh, first of all, Lisa, as, uh, as disheartening as everything you're talking about is, and it's not only disheartening, I'm going to be very blatant about this. I myself uh, used to be an academic. I used to teach in fantastic academic institutions in the U.S., all of those examples that you gave uh, are not only shameful, are not only disgraceful, uh, they present the complete lack of moral backbone of those academics who did what they did. Uh, they're there to be popular and not honest, in my opinion. Uh, they, uh, uh, and, the, and they want to uh, kind of run with the flow. However, having said that, I truly believe that the overwhelming majority of both Jewish and non-Jewish students on American and other campuses around the free world do not take active part in this cacamamie of radical rhetoric. However, they're being affected by them. And for me as an educator, I acknowledge that they constitute uh, uh, what I call a silent majority that increasingly starts to feel as a silenced minority. And when a silent majority starts to feel as, an, as a silenced minority, then truly dangerous things can happen. So from an educational standpoint, from a social standpoint, we need to invest in them, in those 95% who do not rally and, 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 and chant all kind of, uh, all kind of uh, abominable uh, statements without knowing what, what they're talking about, but want to learn, want to understand, want to understand the complexity. And for that, we are prepared to, uh, to have, an, and we have, an incredible infrastructure of education that allows them to really look at the things from multiple perspectives and make a sound decision based on experience and not based on slogans and myths and sometimes brute disinformation. So how do, I mean, let's, let's take this to the core. I mean, how does this happen? How does, I'm not talking about the students who have some sort of connection to um, 
the Palestinian world or because that is just familial, you know, brainwashing or it's just that is that's what they learn. Um, again, many people from the Middle East um, calling out Hamas, siding with the people of Israel. I must say that as well. I'm seeing a lot yeah. of that and it's very heartwarming to see people understand the truth of, 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 of what's going on and really condemning Hamas as a moral issue and not having the political discourse now. Uh, but let's talk about those. I mean, that average American student, the the woke, if you will, um, that comes to, you know, we just had a horrific um, protest here in Los Angeles, for example, on Saturday. The things they were saying on the, on the slogans, they were saying were, were it wasn't about supporting the Palestinian people. It was truly genocidal. They were saying they want all of 48. They want six million wasn't enough. We're going to come for the rest of you. Uh, think, no shame. Zero. They weren't holding back at all. Um, how does that happen? How does an, the average college student or a young professional sign on to truly, you know, want to be a part of this movement and support a terror organization? That's a difficult question. And I think that uh, it's a very, very difficult question. But uh, I think that, to be honest with you, after having followed uh, the trajectory of this kind of radical thought, for quite a few years now, uh, I'm shocked, I am disgusted, but I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Uh, people who made it already their business to have, uh, uh, to have a, uh, an approach that says Palestinians are always right no matter what, mm -hmm. will also justify the genocide of Jews and say this is just a means to a higher end. I think that in many ways, what happened in Israel and the ensuing protests, the like of which you just described in LA, New York, and many other parts of the world, should be a serious wake-up call to the free world, to its leaders and its citizens, because I'm telling you, this will not end in Israel. And if you think that this is something between Palestinians and Israel, you are dead wrong no pun intended. This is a clash of morality. It's a clash of civilizations. It's a clash of, uh, uh, of the future of the world. And it is a, a, a clash that tries to tie politics and narratives and ter territorialism and religion in order to justify its end. And the end is very, very clear to get rid of Jews and Israel and ultimately to get rid of everything else, which is not me. Unfortunately, why, yeah. go ahead. Go, go ahead. No, but why that cause? I mean, there's so many causes. For example, this last year, I covered the Masa Amini protests from Iran. You had the majority of 80 million people come out onto the streets and tell us we're being, our eyes are being gouged out. We're being executed for peaceful protests. Women are being raped and dragged through the streets with their hair. Uh, just for showing a little bit of their hair. I mean, Massa Amini, 22-year-old, was taken in by uh, morality police. Iran's regime beat her so badly, she slipped into a coma and she dies, right? So the Iranian people came out onto the streets. Their supporters came out onto the streets. Where were these social justice gurus when the Iranian people needed them, for example? Why? I mean, how do they pick and choose in this social justice buffet of what to espouse. I mean, why the Palestinian cause and why so blindly, as you said, all slogans, 
I, I said this to a friend of mine. I don't think 1% of the kids who came out to these, these uh, protests could summarize the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in a sentence if their lives depended on it. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, again, I think that a full analysis of what you're asking, and uh, I know you already, you ask big, big questions. Uh, <laughs> but but I, think, I think, Lisa, uh, that Israel is in a very unique, in a very unique position in the world. It is a country that uh, uh, aspires to be a Western democratic liberal civilization and country in a neighborhood that is very foreign to such values. And there is something almost schizophrenic in our existence. We live physically in one area and we aim to abide by values that belong to another area. And uh, in that respect, there is always a tension uh, between our physical existence here and our moral existence, which truly uh, nurtures from, uh, from, from, other, from other philosophies and from, and from our own as, 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 a Jewish, as a Jewish people. To your immediate question, I think that it has to do with the fact that a lot of people just find it very hard to accept the fact that Israel is powerful, that Israel is strong, that Israel is successful, that Israel is doing very, very well in this regime, in this in this region, and uh, in addition to that, Israel has always been a relatively uh, simple punching bag uh, for hundreds of years, Jews and uh, and the concept of Israel. Uh, so I think that. Uh, certain things that would never fly in the face of other countries uh, go completely under the radar or above the radar without, uh, without any pu uh, punity uh, when, it comes, uh, when it comes to Israel. It will be interesting to state, however, in my recent post at the Jerusalem Post, I deliberately picked a photo of Iranian Muslims and Jews protesting against Hamas in Brussels. Yes. Uh, and uh, and uh, and we I have must that here, that here in Los Angeles too. It's beautiful, right? It's it's heartwarming uh, because and and I want I want to shout out from here to take this advantage and 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 give a shout out to a lot of Muslims and Arabs who acknowledge what's happened here and have the courage to state boldly even at risk to their own lives, that this is a breach on good and evil. This is not the way of Islam. This is not the way that we should act. And we stand with Israel on this one. I take my head out uh, down to them because they deserve this kind of applaud. You know, and, and following with that thought, you know, I don't think a lot of people know because they're not focused on this part of the world until Israel begins to retaliate, unfortunately, and then it becomes an issue. Um, people aren't aware that for up until maybe a few weeks ago, the Palestinian people, the Gazans, were actually protesting Hamas on the streets. Yeah. All yeah. of a sudden, they attack Israel and everything is good again. And we don't, you don't hear from those protesters again. You don't hear of that disenchantment again. Um, 
juxtapose this also with you know what you do obviously in education right your weapon is education i know you have been following your career this is this is what you do and you do it for birthright you do it you did it as an academic you do it as a writer you know and it seems to me that that is the way of israel in the sense of okay let's put out facts let's put out you know more sheets let's put out more examples of why this is this war is and then on the Palestinian side, it's very unfortunate. And again, I do believe that the Palestinian people are victims of this, this way of life. But from a very young age, they're taught mathematics through killing Jews. If I kill two Jews today and kill two, two tomorrow, how many did I kill? The way that, that that jihad becomes part of their DNA, and very unfortunately, because no child should be brought up that way and no one should be indoctrinated to that in that fashion. But looking to the future, we'll get over this war, right? And we'll go back to life as usual. I mean, how, what, what's the approach? And is there a way to evolve or pivot from this, taking into, into account what you're up against, what kind of indoctrination you're up against, not just in the West Bank and Gaza, but throughout the world? Um, let me start with uh, saying what we try to do uh, with uh, with our own uh, Jewish young adults. As part of our belief as, as a Jewish value, we try to make a very clear distinction uh, between unity, between the concept of unity and the concept of uniformity. And our statement here is very, very clear. Unity among Jews should be a value and is a value. Uniformity between Jews about any issue has never been a value and should never be a value. In other words, the fact that I have sometimes even strong disagreements with my Jewish brothers and sisters, be it in Israel or outside of Israel, should not affect my sense of unity with them. That's number one. Number two, I wanna make a call here to, to, to Jews and non-Jews alike uh, that are now obviously aghast at what happened and 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 most of them most of them at least i'm not talking about the radical radical who, who even now uh, uh uh support gaza and support uh, the hamas right. but i, I want to make a plea and a call and say you know the jewish people are well trained i called it at standing unified uh when faced with uh, adversarial actions, when faced with perse persecution, when, case, when, when faced with terrorist attacks at war, we stand together. And anyone who knows Israelis and comes to Israel right now can see how Israel stands together. We stand together when our souls are bruised and our bodies are, are broken. We also need to know, and that's a call from me and from I think a lot of other Israelis, we need to learn to stand together as a people also when Israel strikes back and start being squeamish about it because we have no choice but to strike back. And, uh, and, 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 and that, takes much more, that takes much more courage. It takes much more resolve. It takes much more moral decency and integrity. Most people, I think, will show it. Uh, others, like the professors you have mentioned earlier, completely forfeited their, uh, their, uh, their hold on, on moral decency and uh, obviously took the uh, popular route. 
Um, I didn't want to go there, I, but I but because you took it there, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow up with this question regarding unity inside of Israel. I'm hearing, you know, um, there's many interviews that come out of Israel. Obviously, a lot of professors, a lot of politicians, others. Um, the one interesting thing I find is that for many, you know, here in the United States, the focus is on Hamas, right? Obviously, Hamas is the bad guy. Um, let's talk about Hamas today and we'll talk about political issues tomorrow, meaning whether they're domestic political issues inside Israel between the left and the right, whether it's, you know, um, you know, questioning BB and, and, and what happened in terms of the intelligence failure, um, all of that will remain. But I am seeing a lot of condemn condemnation of BB early on. Uh, why do you think that is? Do you think it's justified? And what is your take on the intelligence breach that occurred? First of all, uh, I don't think any of the, uh, let's say, civilians on the street, and I'm one of them, truly understand what happened yet. Uh, I think this is going to become, we can't even imagine of that stage yet, because we're in the midst of a, of a, of a horrific war. But it will become uh, uh, a watershed event uh, in Israel's history uh, when Israel starts looking into its own uh, governmental and defense mechanisms uh, on that horrific day, and what was the what were the uh, uh, the misactions of of Israeli security forces, the IDF, and others on that day, for sure. Uh, I think that, uh, again, without getting into the political issue itself, because it's not my place, but uh, I think that those who, uh, who talk and try to blame either the prime minister or any other body, uh, I can understand that they're carrying forward great anger and frustration, which had bubbled uh, up inside them way before this horrific event. I mean, everybody who follows Israel knows that until the October 7th, Israeli society was pretty in a lot of tension between different elements about the judicial reforms and about a host of issues. I wrote about it that until October 6th, we were arguing with each other. On October 8th, people who were at each other's throats, literally, were standing in the same line to donate blood at Tel Shomer Hospital, uh, and and, uh, and, uh, and and that's something that is very unique, I think, and 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 very heartwarming about Israel. Uh, I uh, I wish to God that we don't have to be tested like this uh, again. But I know that when we do, uh, Israeli civilians rise to the occasion and they respond in in a truly admirable admirable way, and also our friends, Jewish, Jew, Jewish diaspora from all over the world, and many non-Jewish friends mm -hmm. uh, who, uh, who lend uh, an incredible hand at this moment of, uh, of, of great agony, great, great agony. Yes. Thank you, Dr. Zohar Aviv. I know Israel has a lot of friends and a lot of people praying for her around the world. I have been, uh, had the privilege to interview many of them and, uh, Hope to have better days ahead for the people of Israel and all the freedom-loving people around the world, wherever they may be. 
Thank you so much for your time. I hope you, your family, and friends are all safe and out of harm's way. Thank you so much for joining us. For the rest of you who would like to subscribe to our podcast, go to youtube.com slash Lisa Daftari. And to subscribe to our daily top 10 email, go to foreigndesknews.com. Thank you.